From iCare Partners, this is the Doc to Doc podcast, clinical discussions with our team of world-class eye care professionals across the country. Through connectedness and continuing education, we help patients see their absolute best for life. Your hosts are Dr. Albert Chung, a cornea and cataract specialist at Virginia Eye Consultants, and Dr. Ian McWhirter, an optometrist at Bennett and Bloom. Uh, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of ECP's Dr. Doc Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ian McWhorter, alongside Dr. Albert Chung from Virginia Eye Consultants. Tonight, we're here with Dr. Elizabeth Yu, uh, a cornea and refractive surgeon at Virginia Eye Consultants, and Dr. Walt Whitley, a consultative optometrist, also at Virginia Eye Consultants. They are here to update us on co-management between optometrists and ophthalmologists and how we can all work better together. Uh, welcome to the podcast, and thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. I'm so happy to have... Uh, two of my favorite people here, and this is a great topic. So why don't we start off by uh, having you both share of how you two uh, started having such a great, you know, working relationship and, you know, what are some of the key components to a great co-management partnership? I'm happy to start. Well, I think I was, uh, I was really fortunate because I started, um, it actually started from the moment that I began interviewing at Virginia Eye Consultants back in, uh, and, you know, I joined in 2013, but I just remember when I met Walt, we immediately clicked because it was a cultural alignment. Um, I remember just thinking that, you know, there's so much that our profession covers from everything from medical and contact lenses and vision care all the way through the most difficult of surgical cases. And that's what I was doing at Baylor for the past six years. And, you know, and how we do that is really, really challenging. And it really requires and there's an intersection where we need help in primary medical and surgical. Um, and so when Walt and I started talking about um, being able to do that within a practice, as well as um, being able to educate our community better to uh, make sure that we did that properly, especially if we were going to talk about patient-centered care and collaboratively taking care of surgical patients because of the higher volume that Virginia Height uh, Consultants was experiencing, um, then we needed to really put um, education and communication at the core of it. And Walt and I just clicked and it was just from that point, it seemed like he went from being suspect of me to being less suspect of me. That's great. I mean, you guys obviously have such a, a great work relationship. I think, you know, Virginia Eye Consultants is a great co-management center. And, you know, there's several co-management centers across the ECP network that are that are strong in that sense. But, you know, what, what kind of suggestions do you guys have for maybe an OD and MD that or, or DO that, uh, you know, aren't co-management? You know, how can they work on pairing up or maybe starting this process? And is there anything that ECP can do to help facilitate that? The, one of the most important components of um, taking care of patients within different practices, as well as kind of vertical care of patients within the same practice. I think communication underlies everything, just like I had mentioned, but it's the constant education and re-education. And so it is really, a it's a commitment, not only amongst the clinicians, but between the back office, as well as amongst administration too, because there has to be some level of cultural agreement that yes, we will agree that you know, we are going to have this level of commitment to excellence that, yes, Dr. Yu would like for 
some level of dry eye management already done and for the primary eye doctor and the referring doctors to identify and treat because if Mrs. Smith is coming in, you know, for a cataract surgery evaluation and does not have that diagnosis and I'm the first one to introduce that diagnosis and Dr. you know, Thompson didn't give that diagnosis, um, then there's already been kind of some faith or some disconnect. So there's faith broken in the system where the patient doesn't trust primary eye doctor or doesn't trust surgeon. Why didn't I receive this diagnosis before? So it's really important that we're all kind of on the same page. And that kind of continual education in technologies of what's going on with surgery, but knowing that vision obviously began well before surgery and it's going to continue well after surgery, all of that is one key example. But also to that point, the back offices, if a routine surgery becomes complex or if I add a bandage contact, lens, even something that simple, and that doesn't get directly communicated. Or if I added a suture, you know, and that was just really because the patient's a squeezer. No reason, but simply just those little tiny nuances. If we don't mention that in that transfer of care, um, that could really sometimes make or break the kind of interactions, especially early on in the process when trying to create that relationship with the referring doctor. And obviously in the beginning of that relationship, Dr. So-and-so may just be curbsiding you and sending you all sorts of medical things or even capsulotomies or other kinds of easier cases before they can build the trust to start sending you their surgical patients, especially advanced technology lenses and such. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, you know, communication is, is, is so key, even if it's just a quick text to that uh, co-managing optometrist in the community that I, that I work with, uh, they appreciate it um, um, and, and it makes them shine too when they have that patient right in front of them. And that's what we want to do. Yeah, and you make a great point about how, how dependent we are on, on back office staff and admin to making sure that we look good and that we're, you know, uh, you know, staying well communicated with the, uh, the referring doctors because a lot of that paperwork doesn't get out to the referring community unless, you know, our staff is there to, to fax those documents or, or send those messages. So, of course, um, you know, co-management, the, the, the main template we have is for, for cataracts. What are some other subspecialties that, that you've utilized co-management for? Or have you done it for all the subspecialties? Uh, that's a great question there, Albert. And, uh, and, and as you know, there's, there's a lot of different subspecialties and a lot of opportunities to co-manage. The main thing, and, you know, Liz uh, answers earlier, it's all about communication. So that's how her and I became on the same page in regards to cataracts, what technology she likes, and not just what, but why. And helping me understand that way, I, her and I are on the same page. Uh, for you, you and I in, in cornea, and so, you know, when you joined the practice, it was important that you and I were on the same page on the various procedures. You know, recently you've been doing uh, DSO, whether it's going to be decimated stripping only or even the onlay. And so anytime these, these procedures happen, we're having that conversation as well and talking about the various aspects, things that I need to look for if for some reason you can't see that patient for a post-op, whatever it may be. Glaucoma. Uh, we know that there's the glaucoma surgery, MIGS procedures. Uh, we know that we're seeing more and more of that. And there's so many different procedures, especially when it comes to the MIGs, 
but understanding them and just having that discussion, knowing uh, why a glaucoma surgeon is doing a, a sp specific procedure, but then also, you know, what is the, the typical post-operative protocol, but also what happens if we see, let's say three plus cells or a hyphema, does, is that, is that where pilocarpine is going to be in, uh, indicated or what are some of those decisions? And so being on the same page, but having continuous co communication is going to be key. You know, Dr. Whitley, you bring up a, a really good point there about, um, you know, new technologies coming to the market and new surgical techniques. And, you know, it's easy whenever the surgeon's right down the hall and you can talk to them and, and find out what, what kind of you need to look out for. But what kind of internal processes do you have for, you know, maybe sharing some of the information with the internal ODs, but also any of your external ODs that are referring, uh, you know, patients that are going to be seeing these patients post-op so they know what to do? It's all about communication. And so making sure that we keep everybody up to date on things that are going on within the clinic. We do weekly e-blast. So letting them know what's going on, not just within our providers, what's going on within our practice. What about technology as well and how we're utilizing it? We recently had an OD seminar, MDOD panels, where we talked about all the subspecialists and how we all work together. And it was also moderated. So any questions that came up, we made sure we hit the high points. So everybody's on the same page. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, you know, weekly e-blasts, e e um, you know, continuing education events, making sure you get out in the community and trying to educate them if you're doing any, uh, you know, PRing in the community is really helpful to kind of get that uh, feedback from internal and uh, external ODs. You know, a lot of people I'm, I'm sure have your guys' cell phone numbers and if they have a question, they're just, you know, calling or texting you to, to know the, the latest and greatest and what they need to be looking for. I was just about to say that, Ian. Um, I was just on the phone with one of my for an optometrist and talking about scleral lenses. I, and I learned a lot from the from them as well about scleral lenses and, and, and other things in our in my realm. And then they're learning more from me just on these one-on-one -on -one conversations. So it, it's definitely great. Um, so one thing is they always say that, or some people say that, you know, co-management is just a cultural thing. And if you don't grow up in that culture, you may not be, I mean, maybe something that you, you'll, you'll do later on. Um, how do you help change or build this culture? I think that's a great question. Um, building that culture, I mean, obviously, um, it, it, well, the number one um, tenant, I think, underlying all of it is there, there has to be a willingness on both sides to commit to putting the patient's care first and the patient in the center of it all. And that means knowing that each doctor kind of understands the limitations of, you know, where primary eye care is, where surgical is, and then, you know, sending the patient back to their original doctor. Those are very important components of building a surgical patient-centered care you know, collaboration, if that makes sense, you know? So I think uh, that is a mutual understanding. Um, and certainly, you know, there are the soft skills of handing patients um, back and forth and ensuring that we are also, you know, whenever I get a patient uh, that, you know, needs gl glasses or as you mentioned, therapeutic contact lens therapy that we don't do, I'm also referring them to the doctors who are referring to me. It's a two-way street. 
it just builds, you know, good, um, I think, morale as well as good relationships between the doctors um, and between the practices. Um, but ultimately, there are going to be chronic patients. There aren't just easy, routine cataract surgery patients. As Walt mentioned, there are going to be glaucoma patients and recognizing that, you know, that each of the different offices, we need to know who has the certain diagnostics and who are testing and want to manage these patients versus who is referring for us to keep in house versus who is going to, you know, want a second opinion, but wants to manage except for if there's some sort of more advanced care that needs to come back to us, if that makes sense. So we have to be willing to customize to the different doctor's needs that are referring to us. So knowing if it's a second opinion versus please take them because this is out of my scope, this is not what I do within my practice versus please uh, take care of them surgically, and then when stable, I can follow them along. So there's kind of that understanding, but making sure that if patients are stable, and especially for their refractive and medical needs, that we do send them um, for uh, their refractive needs and their medical primary eye care needs back to those who refer to us. I think that is an, a good basis of recognition if they are coming to us from a community eye doctor. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think, you know, you, you nailed it with those soft skills. I mean, those are really helpful and, and, and necessary for building some of those re relationships and those referral sources. And I think that's why you guys have been so successful because, you know, you really seem to exemplify those so well. And, you know, we, we all hear about this aging population and everybody's, you know, turning over 65 and, and the concern from a public health standpoint about how we're going to deliver eye care now and in the future. What, what do you guys think about that? Like, you know, what is, what is your guys' ideal situation? And, and do you think that, you know, the way we are right now in the United States, that optometry and, and ophthalmology can, can handle it? Or do we need to make a change? There has to be a change, I feel, for us to be able to take care of the aging population. Um, there are more doctors exiting than entering from an MD perspective. Um, there's less Medicare funding for GME education. Um, so I do believe that um, ultimately though, it is based on the curricula and proper education. So if the curricula and education for um, the proper uh, primary eye care, all of it go is being pumped in, you know, for ODs um, and primary eye care and beyond, right? Post-operative care, perioperative care, all of that. I think that should be part of the curricula, not just a residency, if that were to make sense. You know, we're so fortunate that we have multiple residency programs within ECP, one at VEC where we take two to three OD residents a year. We're very fortunate and we also have um, externs that join us, but that's not the experience of everyone. You know, so that should be part of the training and curricula so that we are able to better have that shared Venn diagram for primary eye care to help better care for our aging population of patients. That's true. You know, we were recently uh, fortunate to have 
you know, Walt, yourself, as well as uh, Steve Scoper on earlier to talk about uh, co-management in regards to uh, the telehealth uh, post-stop day one visits uh, for cataract surgery. Um, you mentioned uh, about having, you know, reaching out to local optometry and working with them in the community to get the patients back to them. Uh, what are some other ways to make your practice more efficient by using co-management? So when it comes to making our practice more efficient, it's always important for us to just see where we are and what we can always do better. And that's one of the things that we try to do and, and do on, on a continuous basis because, you know, we think things are going good, but feedback's a gift. And so reaching out to our referring providers and seeing what's working for them and what's not working for them for our internal providers as well, both the ODs and MDs having clinic meetings to see, hey, where are some of the hiccups? Where are some of the things that each provider can own uh, and, and do more uh, looking at the, the clinical staff and some of the things that they're doing and where we can improve efficiencies. And so uh, essentially it's continuous communication. You can hear me say that over and over, but that's what builds the success in co-management. You have to start somewhere. And so, you know, it starts with working with one OD, whether it's internal or external, building those relationships, inviting them to observe you in surgery, observe you in clinic, and then, you know, even going out to their practice and getting to know them. Uh, but it's always a continuous improvement in trying to fine tune uh, your, your process. And from an efficiency standpoint, I um, also think that there are doctors um, in our community who absolutely um, can, uh, they, they want to take care of diabetic examinations and, and are able to very well manage, you know, mild to moderate glaucoma, medical glaucoma. So there are, you know, those who have all the diagnostics and the technology and the education to do that. Um, and so to be able to debulk those who are stable and who can get those routine exams because we don't, for example, do glasses. So to be able to send them to an OD within the community who does glasses, so the medical refractive plus their full medical examination all in one, it's way more efficient than then that patient coming into our practice waiting longer and still having to go somewhere else for their, you know, annual contact lens and glasses, if that were to make sense. So I think from that perspective, that is another way that it promotes a more efficient level. And if they need higher level care, that's when we can step in with that medical and surgical care. Explain that to the patient's going to be key as well. So they're the understanding, hey, we're going to send you back to, uh, we'll just say Dr. Gilbert, he'll follow you. But if you, he needs to send you back, hey, we're here anytime. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, and I feel like the takeaway from this, uh, you know, this podcast is communication and relationship building. And, and really, that's kind of the backbone of co-management, you know, establishing those relationships, keeping those relationships strong and keeping open lines of communications, both between the optometrists and ophthalmologists and ophthalmologists and the optometrists. You know, it, as you said, Dr. You, it's a two way street. So so that's great. Well, but, you know, not everybody favors co-management and we, and we want to try to keep this as, as balanced and fair as possible. What do you think, Dr. You, are some reasons why people are so against co-management? Well, there can be a negative perception of it, and it could be based on, one, if there isn't going to be the commitment to the education. I think that is a key piece to it. I also think there is the piece of patient care, right? The concern about um, a, a feeling... Um, 
the patient's not being returned. So there has to be a mindfulness to some of this, you know, and certainly the, the communication and education piece. If all those three plus a cultural alignment and I have, and there really has to be that, you know, that you know that the OD is not recommending a certain type of lens and saying, Dr. So-and-so, you should put this lens in when we know, or the reverse, where the doctor is putting a lens that, you know, shouldn't go into that sort of eye and it's leaving for an unhappy patient for the OD to take care of from that point forth. Those are going to create negative experiences. We have to create positive experiences, and it has to be a dual, two-way street kind of relationship that is open, honest, and education-based. Well said. Definitely. Well, I, I do think that there's some effort to get this, you know, to communicate and to make sure there's a good relationship going. Um, any closing thoughts or remarks about co-management from, from you guys? And the only thing I'm going to add, it's all about the patient first. I do think that when we are talking about co-management, we've really been talking about the patient care aspect of it, not the medical legal aspect. Obviously, the medical legal aspect of co-management, we toe the line, you know, very, very strictly. Um, And that obviously has its own negative connotation. And that's a different realm, right? We, there's... It's it's exactly where people can certainly get into trouble by not observing um, that piece of it. We're not talking about that piece of it. We're talking about really patient-physician relationship building. Um, and that is about, you know, putting the patient first, um, but doing so in a way um, where we're making sure that even vertically within a practice, And when you have a kind of team approach to taking care of patients, as well as outside between practices, that we try our very best to not drop the ball, but constantly are taking um, and, and making the extra effort. And it actually takes more time to do that, but it also allows each doctor to practice medicine and or surgery, you know, to the best level and subspecialize in the areas they really want to, um, if this is done properly, especially in really busy practices. That's great. Well, thank you both for joining us tonight. And thank you for all the listeners for tuning into another ECP Doc to Doc podcast. Remember, you can find past episodes on our Spotify and YouTube channels. If you're at all interested in joining our team or if you're interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to reach out to Ian or myself. Until next time, take care. The opinions expressed by the physicians in this podcast are solely the personal opinions of the providers and do not represent iCare Partners policy.